Welcome to Girl Power Pod, the podcast to inspire and motivate women to feel empowered to pursue their dreams. In this episode, I met up with Sal Kuchu, who dropped out of university to become an entrepreneur. Today, Sal is running Password, a ticketing company with their sights set on the world. to the second episode of Girl Power Pod. I'm so glad to have you here, Esel Kochu. Thank you so much for coming. And can you please start with introducing yourself and a bit about your background and where you come from? Uh, my name is Esel Kochu. I'm the founder of Passphere. So um, the idea for Passphere originated, um, I guess it's been quite a journey to get to this point with Passphere. Um, my journey started about seven years ago in the entrepreneurial world without me even realizing. Um, so I was 18, I just finished school, took a gap year, moved to Wellington, uh, Wellington from Nelson, um, which is a really small town in um, the South Island. And the day after my exams finished, I moved up to Wellington, got a job at a restaurant, um, and then decided to take a gap year in Turkey. Um, and that's when I realized that I was paying 70 euro for this audio guide. Um, and it was really broken English. You could barely understand the person on the other side. And he was basically just repeating um, what was on the sign um, and like whispering. And I could and I could understand Turkish, so I knew what this guy was saying. It was a really bad experience. And so I came back with this frustration back to Wellington and started my computer science degree. I was one of like five girls in a class of like 500 males. And so I met my co-founder in university and we decided to create this app for museums and art galleries around the world. Um, and a part of that was ticketing. So it was a ticketing platform for museums. What we did was create this beautiful product, did that for four years. We had like, you know, 60 employees at one point across multiple countries. Uh, we raised nine million in funding over our entire lifespan of the business. And the ticketing portion of it was amazing. Uh, and I was a product manager for the ticketing a part of it. And so I got a real knack for it. It's really exciting doing being in events and being in the ticketing space because it's so revolutionary and it's something that's really needed. It's not it's not a big sell because ticketing is required by everybody, by every organization, every industry. And so I had this passion to keep doing that. And so I left my first company and started my second company, Nonstop Ticks, uh, one of the uh, companies in New Zealand that had majority of the ticketing market in New Zealand was bought out by a bigger company in Australia nobody wanted to move over to the new company that had bought it. So overnight, basically, we were an over, overnight success and we had some really amazing venues and promoters and just companies that were doing small shows and they all came to Nonstop Ticks as the ticketing provider. And in the same year, I ended up selling it to a promoter. The platform wasn't at the stage where I wanted it to be. It was really off the cuff, built really quickly and um, I just decided that it would be easier. Well, we decided it would be easy to sell it and move on. And so that's what we did. And I took a small break and decided that 
actually, there's so much more that I want to build in my first two ticketing companies. Why not build a third one? And that's exactly where um, I got to with Passfair. So the long and short of it is, yeah, it's been seven years in the making. It's, I'd say, the best ticketing platform in the world. It's super, like, sleek and sexy and, like, quick. And, um, yeah, just, it's awesome. So it's, it's how I got to Passfair. Wow, I find that quite amazing and super inspiring how you basically have started up two companies from one need that you saw on the market and now you're on to your third startup. Um, but you still keep on building on your experience and your expertise that you learned from your past businesses. Um, it's quite impressive and I'm super excited to see where Passware is going to take you and I'm sure it will be as successful as the other businesses you started up, and if not even more. Having that in your baggage, I'm sure there's been lots of ups and downs throughout your career, but what would you say some of the proudest moment so far that you've been experienced as an entrepreneur? So I think my proudest moment was definitely, uh, I just, I guess just getting to share it with my family. So something that a lot of people don't know about entrepreneurs and founders and uh, people in startups is the sacrifices that we've been, what, that, what, you know, what, that we've had to make over the journey of our career. Uh, and a big one, one was that was that I was just, missing birthdays and weddings and um, engagements and a big part of that was missing my uh, family's weddings and um, birthdays and I didn't really get to see my parents for a really long time and they were still supporting me like as, a, as an entrepreneur you don't you can't pay yourself that much you're basically giving yourself coffee money and so my parents supported me through this journey even dropping out of university which was a really big shock to them I'm the only person in my family that hasn't graduated from uni uh, and it's been instilled in me growing up as go to uni, go to uni, but they supported me through that. So I guess my proudest moment was when I got to fly my mum to Istanbul for a conference and, you know, we, she came and stayed with me and the company paid for everything. So it was just this really proud moment to have my family with me on my journey and it, and it being so successful. Um, so I think, yeah, that's, that's actually been the proudest moment. I guess that's some of the downsides of being an entrepreneur, having to do those compromises in life and having to live with the feeling of letting friends and family down for birthdays, for example. Speaking of letting people down, I know your parents really wanted you to go to university and get your degree. What was their reaction when you all of a sudden decided to not continue your university studies? It was really hard for them. I think if you ask my mum what her proudest moment was, it's still seeing me walking down the hill from Victoria University with a backpack on from university, literally. That's her proudest moment. Uh, and I don't know. It was for me, it just didn't make sense. I have to, I didn't understand this at the time being 18, but it didn't make sense for me to spend all that time and energy and money trying to complete something that my heart wasn't completely in. Uh, and although they didn't understand that, and it actually got to a point where, where my parents were like, just do anything, just go to university. I don't even care if you just do like a photography degree. I don't even care, just like go to uni. And yeah, just deciding that actually this is not for me, but I've got a really good plan. And at that point we'd raise investment. 
and they didn't know what I was doing. They uh, they knew I was working for a technology company and that we've started this tech company, but they had no idea what it was. And it was funny, like a year and a half after we'd um, grown the company and scaled and raised money and everything and opened an office, I was showing my mum the app, the storytelling app for museums. She goes, she looks at me, she just takes a minute. She's like, oh, it's an app. And I think that's when it like dinged him in her mind that, okay, this is actually really cool. It's like a product. And she built this. And that's, yeah, that's, that was the whole yeah thing of dropping out and starting something really cool. Cool. So what are you doing at the moment at Passware? What's your role in the company? It's really exciting. So I've stepped in the, in the place of the CEO at the moment. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool being the CEO of your own company. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to be doing it for long. I'd love someone that has the experience of a CEO to come in and bring their expertise. Uh, so my daily role is just business as usual, sales, um, looking over our financials, cash flow, hiring people, contracts, proposals, account management, um, doing a lot of talking, you know, being the personal brand behind the company. So how does a normal day look for you? When do you get up in the morning and so on? I don't wake up super early because I work really late uh, and just get onto it. I try and talk to as many people as possible a day, a lot of face-to-face. Uh, it's good with technology, but, you know, you still need that face-to-face connection at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. You want that human integration in your life. Um, so what would you say have been some of your biggest challenges in your life so far? I've had a lot of challenges in my life, I think. I don't think I've had an easy life by the by any means. Like coming to a country when you're four years old. Uh, we arrived on Friday and I was in kindergarten on Monday. Didn't know a lick of English, literally. Had no, and I think my first words were, that's mine, and have a look. <laughs> uh, so I think that was a big challenge. My parents worked so, they worked endlessly. Really, they you know, go at 6 a.m. They're working in a restaurant. They both have university degrees, but we came to this country in debt and they work with my auntie and they would work like 18 hours a day uh, just so we would have, you know, the best life possible. And at the same time, you have to learn English to be able to get citizenship here. So they'd be working all day, going to class at night. So they would have enough English to pass the requirements to stay in this country. So it was really difficult, like not growing up with parents around. Uh, and as a kid, you don't really understand that actually they have to do this to make sure that you have the best life possible, but you just want the attention as a child. So you don't understand the concept of that. So that was really difficult. Uh, being a young female in tech is super difficult as well, especially in my role as product manager through all those years. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be sitting in board meetings or just even in sales meetings, and they'd always be directing questions to my male co-founder, even when they were technical questions that only I would know. Uh, other things like trying to navigate a personal life and the social norms of actually you should be starting a family and all your friends are getting married, but actually all you want to do is like, you know, keep pursuing your career and that's okay too. But trying to balance a personal life and a professional life is super difficult. And just like the matters of the heart as well, not making enough time for friends or family or your partner or going through losses as well through all that when you're already operating at like 150% to then have something going wrong in your personal life too. It's really difficult. So I think I've gone through a lot of adversity, but um, I'm still here. So... Do you think women push themselves harder 
in the career than men do? Yeah. Well, I think as females, we have a bigger kind of sensitivity to not feeling enough or feeling worthy. And, you know, I, 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 hate, I hate this question that all entrepreneurs get is, you know, I'm working really hard, I'm doing this. And then the interviewer or the reporter will always say, do you get any sleep? As if that's like the the um like the shot like the show show and tell of if you're working hard enough as if you're sleeping and you'll always hear the entrepreneur go no I never get any sleep uh, and it's almost become like a pride thing like that's that's a good thing that you're not getting sleep bullshit it's absolute bullshit um it doesn't matter it's all it's all connected to your output right so if you're getting if you're meeting your targets if you're creating value in your business it, that's all that matters doesn't matter if it took you two hours to get there or 20 as long as you know that you're doing your best and creating value for your business, then that should be the only measure. And why not have a work-life balance? Why not be able to do, you know, go for your walk and catch up with friends and then, you know, hustle at work? Uh, there needs to be a balance because all you're doing is burning the candle at both ends and it's good for nobody. Yeah, it's a challenge for lots of people, I think, just finding that work-life balance, even if you are an entrepreneur or just, you know, employed by a company. Um, so what advice would you give to your younger self I think if if you ask people around me they'll probably be like oh Zell plans so far and ahead she's like always planning five years ahead what I would tell my younger self five years ago is basically don't plan for shit <laughs> because it doesn't matter um, and it never it never is how you think it's going to be uh, so I think more what I would tell myself then is just take opportunity take risk and not worry about what's going to happen tomorrow uh, and just be kind of agile and healthy enough to be like okay this is my reality uh, now what do I do rather than try and plan too far ahead but I think if you ask anyone that knows me they'll say I'm a serious planner <laughs> but I don't think I am but <laughs> So you were born in Turkey and spent some of your first years in Istanbul. Um, how did you and your family end up in New Zealand? It's a really funny story. My mum's sister, her husband's brother, he met a Kiwi woman, decided to come to New Zealand. Then he persuaded his brother to come, so it was my auntie and my uncle. They came to New Zealand. My mum and dad had a really great job in Istanbul. My mum graduated first in a university, basically, like really bright mind. And they always say that, my mum always says, you know, you get your intelligence from your mother. And so that's like, she's claiming me to be the product of that, which is amazing. So if life was that great in Turkey, why did you guys decide to move to New Zealand? But we were doing really good in Istanbul. Both of my parents did great jobs, uh, but my auntie got really bored and she was like, you know, I really, I'd love someone to be here with me. And it's a great opportunity for the kids. And my mum was an English teacher at her school and getting massive promotions and would be the principal if she were there today. So you could say that it was your auntie that encouraged you guys to move to New Zealand and that's how you guys ended up here. So how do you think teachers could help encouraging more kids and students to go into STEAM-based careers and be more creative and innovative? I think tech's one of those things. Even when I, even when I was at high school, tech was just emerging. 
I think I was in my second to last year when the iPhone came out and it was like the coolest piece of tech. Uh, and on the back of that, you know, the iPod and everything else. So it was just kind of emerging. Technology doesn't have to be scary. And I think what we need to, we actually just need to work from the bottom up, uh, teach, our, te- teach our teachers basically um, and innovate with them on what the curriculum should look like. We don't want kids missing out on the basis that teachers don't know enough about technology to be scared enough to not present that as an opportunity. And a lot of that, you know, when we, it's not segregating boys and girls, but because we do have, you know, girls only schools and boys only schools, you do under, you do see the shift in what gets taught and where. So predominantly in the boys school, it's more sciences, engineering, um, more in the STEM field, mathematics, technology, whereas in the female, like in the girls only schools, you know, we get taught sewing, uh, food tech. So I think it's, we want to break away, not, not tr- from tradition, but innovate enough in our curriculum that it does have that essence of technology. And even in something like a food sciences, even in home tech where you're cooking food, there could be an element of food tech that is applied to that. Uh, I think we just need to look more outwards focused uh, be more outwards focused and apply technology to the areas that are traditional in our school sector at the moment. And also just understand that kids aren't all the same. How do you find it running a startup in New Zealand? I think we're really, really lucky in New Zealand. Seriously, uh, in America, you're just another s- small fish in a ginormous pond. And the stage where I'm at now is I'm a big fish in a small pond and it's a far better place to be. The support has come from people that you wouldn't even expect. And I think the greatness of New Zealand is our humble nature. Uh, it's not, not to look at somebody and judge them on experience or age or background, uh, but it's just, how can I help you? And so we've had immense support from the government, Callaghan Innovation, the local um, economic growth agencies like RITA and ATED. Uh, NZTE, all these companies that are there to, are literally in existence to help companies grow. But you still have to be the one to seek that. And if it doesn't work for you, it, like it, the fact is to not get discouraged. You might just meet somebody that doesn't have enough time to be able to give you the right support. Keep looking. There's so many avenues. Um, a lot of independent entrepreneurs, we can't forget the amazing su- success that's come out of New Zealand. So could you give some example of tech companies in New Zealand that you think really have made it? Cecilia Robinson and um, Nadia from My Food Bag. Amazing, amazing woman with amazing experience. Um, you know, Rod Drew from Zero, one of the most, it is the most successful tech company in, in New Zealand. And tech is our number one exporter. So we didn't get there on nothing. There's a reason. And so there is so much learning that you can do and so many connections you can tap into New Zealand and it's never small it's not as small uh, that everyone kind of portrays it to be there's so much happening in New Zealand especially in the tech sector what would you say to other women that would like to start their own business but might have a lot of barriers in their way so I was in that situation as well uh, you there is no growth that happens when you're comfortable our generation my generation We're all 
always taught to go down with the most comfortable route, you know, go into government because it's easy, good cash, you know, you can kind of just do, but you're not really growing. But what you see is this kind of headbutting. We've got somebody that really wants to grow in their career, but they're stuck into these like dinosaur companies that just don't want to innovate or change or can't do it quickly enough. So now we're seeing this huge workforce of my generation millennials who want to create change, innovate. They see the opportunity globally. But then we're butting heads with the baby boomers because they're it's like the more comfortable age. It's the security, buy the house, have the family, you know, nine to five, have your weekends. Whereas I feel like my generation is just like, okay, well, I could go work in wherever it is in the world. I want fast growth, fast change. Uh, and it's actually creating a really good kind of like shift shift in how New Zealand's going to be growing. Um, but yeah, it's, it just all goes by sound too. If you're comfortable, like no change can occur. No innovation can occur if you're not stepping out of your comfort zone. And for me at 18 to go through a list of, you know, 500 cold call, like cold calling lists of museums around New Zealand to try and get them to be on our platform was bloody terrifying person that you don't know and you're trying to sell them this platform that they may or may never have heard of um it's terrifying but that's yeah you just have to kind of go for it and push yeah I don't know if it's just me um, but it feels like the last years has been a lot of uh, breakthrough when it comes to females um in the workforce and especially females in tech what's your view on that or do you have any advice there is change happening. It's a great time to be a female in tech because there's more awareness happening to it. But I would love to wake up one morning and not even think about, oh, I'm a female in tech, but just say, you know, I'm a badass person in the tech world and I'm making strides. Uh, but I'd be lying to you if I didn't have to, if I said, you know, I don't have to work twice as hard, which I do. I have to work twice as hard and be twice as more knowledgeable, uh, twice as more... Um, you know, kind of delivery and, and the KPIs that I match myself to. And shit, if we can do it. We've got the resilience as females to be able to do that. So, yeah, I think just take the cha- take on the challenge, understand it is what it is and just get on with it. Being an entrepreneur, do you have to be an expert in every field? Find people that do. Yeah, it doesn't have to be females that are role models that they can look up to uh for example you know i had the tech side down with my company but i didn't know anything about the financials or hiring or product management i just had no idea what the, what that looked like so what we did was contact the other companies around us in wellington that were really good at it uh you'd be really surprised so um i'm valuing my company at the moment because we're going for a funding round with Passphere. it's our series uh, it's our seed round it's really hard to value a tech company. How do you value something that is pre-product, pre-revenue, but has the potential to be a multi-million, you know, million, billion-dollar company? So what we did was I contacted one of my friends who is an amazing um, – he, he worked as a consultant. He's doing his MBA right now. And I just asked him, I was like, do you know anybody that could help us value it? And he was amazing. He put us in contact with all these people, massive lifesaver. Uh, I think we have to realize that – I call it the doctor on the plane syndrome. So if you're a vet or like a student in med and someone's having a heart attack on the plane 
and they ask for a doctor, like don't put up your hand if you're not a bloody doctor. Don't do that. And it goes the same for tech. You know, you may be really interested and you might have the traits of an entrepreneur, uh, but surround yourself with the people that actually have massive skills in the areas that you are lacking and learn from them. As an 18-year-old, like what more? What did I have more than really good um, organization skills and passion and perseverance? I didn't have anything. I had no skills. But what I did was I was able to surround myself in the company with people that were that, was you know, veterans and are so skilled in the things that they were doing. So, and learn from them. So it's just been seven years of learning. I've kind of created like a, my own little university for myself. So you mentioned before that you dropped out from university, but you still have quite an amazing career for such a young age. What advice would you give to a high school female who might want to to go to university or you know start a career, start a business um, in a tech-related subject, but doesn't really have the same opportunity to do that? I think we have to understand that it's it's kind of a bit between the rock and the hard place. But at high school, it is ingrained in you to go to university. And it's not anybody's fault. It's just the way that it's the easiest way for higher education. You go to uni- you go to high school and they push you to go to university. What kids have to realize is that there is other options. And you have to do some really big soul searching. The, big, the best thing that I could have done, and this isn't the same for everybody, but for me personally, was take a gap year because I needed to grow up a little bit. I needed to understand what I was interested in, what worked for me, and I did. I had the opportunity to do that. I thought university was the thing, but it wasn't at the end of the day. And it's not to say, you know, if you if you want to become a doctor, lawyer, accountant, please go do that. Like if that's your true calling, do that. But if you're hearing horror stories of your, like law, for example, we are pushing law to females so much. And the country doesn't need more female lawyers. I'm sorry, it's so saturated. Do some research. Understand where things are lacking. You know, we need 40,000 tradies um, working for construction and the development of New Zealand buildings and infrastructure by 2020. Uh, But we were late in the game. We weren't pushing that enough, even at my generation. And we need to be pushing that eight years ago. Uh, So do your own research. Don't go on the base of what your high school teachers are telling you. Do your own. Figure out what it is that you love doing. And I feel like if you do enough research, um, something's going to jump out at you. In what way do you consider yourself as a leader? I don't... So somebody asked me the other day if I felt I had an obligation to be a leader in the space. And... I don't think I get any pressure from anybody, but all I wish was that there was somebody in my situation now telling me the things that they learned back then. I wish there was a female role model where I could look up to and say, well, she's done it. There's nothing to say that I can't. So I think inadvertently, all I wanted to do was change the growing ecosystem of female entrepreneurs and females in tech and actually anybody in tech, uh, for that matter, not just females, but any you know, young kid that wants to get into tech and creativity and even just working in a startup. You know, we're not all born entrepreneurs, but it is, it is your right to kind of discover if it is the right thing for you or not. What advice would you give to someone that wants to become an entrepreneur? 
I would teach yourself as much as possible. Uh, learn all the facets of a business. Don't just stick to what you're good at. And as an entrepreneur, we have to have skills in everything. So if you're looking at a chart, you know, if you're working 30 years in a bank as some sort of financial analyst, your skill set is more vertical. Whereas as an entrepreneur, we're more horizontal. We've just got kind of small crevices of deep knowledge. So I know a little, I know, you know, how to do the financials for a business. I know how to do reports for a contract, um, for human resources, employee contracts, employee office, salary. Uh, it is so important that you understand every facet of your business and then be across that all the time and then hire people that are skilled in those areas to be able to drive it the best that they can. But as an entrepreneur, understanding that you have to let your team grow as well. So let the reins off a bit. Don't try and micromanage anybody. So what do you think you should do if you have a great business idea? Where should you start? There's a lot of misconceptions around having an idea. And it was really funny. When we first came up with story, we had somebody on the team that was saying, like one of the guys that we brought onto the team, and he was like, no, we can't tell this idea to anybody. They'll steal it. And in reality, that's just not the case. Uh, if you've got a really good idea and you want to start it, talk to as many people as possible. There's a thing called barriers to entry, so you want to be able to close all barriers to entry for another company that comes in as a competitor. Uh, but, you know, even in ticketing with past fair, ticketing is an increasingly competitive space. Actually, it probably might be one of the most competitive spaces in the industry. But we've got a better product. We've got better customer service. We've got better understanding of the market. We've got more innovative features. We know how much we're going to save you per year. And we know that our product is worthy for somebody to purchase their ticket from our site and know that they're getting a really good, honest experience. But for you to keep your idea, so going back to my you know, original point, telling people so then they, you can get help from the right areas. If you are an experience, you want to be getting as much knowledge as possible, much, as much perspective as possible, you don't want advice. You don't want somebody else trying to tell you how to run your passion. Uh, so I take everything with a grain of salt, but take the points that apply to you then and there. Uh, and the best thing that you can do is contact as many people as possible, call your customers, understand what the frustration is. Uh, I had a really clear thought with Passphere for the last two years that this was the problem that we were solving. So we built the product to be in a way where it was automated, really high-tech, scalable, uh, cost-effective everything. But as I've been talking to my customers and I try and make sure that I talk to five or f five to six customers every day, um, has increased the growth and innovation within the company. So these features that I wouldn't have even thought existed that we're developing now. Uh, so... Yeah, don't keep your idea a secret. Make sure you move on it as quickly as possible. Get advice and most importantly, talk to your customers and people that you know are there to help you. And you'll figure it out along the way. You'll make mistakes. You'll see high points and just kind of ride the wave of discovery. That's some great advice. Where would you say that you find your inspiration? If I'm being honest with you, it's really hard because you're like my day-to-day -day is entrenched in what I do. I think inspiration comes from the people that you have around you. So I just try and surround myself with really interesting, amazing people. Um, and not to say I've got a great support network around me with people that are really comfortable and I feel really comfortable, like just being in my pajamas and like eating a tub of ice cream. Uh, but it's all super interesting to me. 
And I get inspired in really different ways now. Like I was in Queenstown with one of my really good friends uh, and we went to this dinner and we did this like wine pairing with this dinner. It was beautiful and gorgeous. And every time we went to Cheers, you know, we'd just say something that we were grateful to. And that's super inspiring. And my other female co-founders and friends that are in the space are just hugely inspirational to me. Um, or even like some mornings where I'll just wake up and like there's an ocean view from my hotel or, you know, cause we live in, I live in planes and like out of suitcases, which is terrifying, like sterile hotels, but uh, finding inspiration and just like opening my window and just seeing, yeah, there's just a whole city and like a whole world. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm finding inspiration, not in business environments, but actually just in my surroundings and you're just like hyper aware of everything that's going around you is really inspirational. Just the change of environment can be really inspiring, right? And if we talk about the purpose in life, it could be really challenging for, for some people. And for some people, it might take a whole lifespan to find out what the purpose is. Um, but do you feel that you have found your purpose and this is what you want to do? I think, yeah, it's, it's really hard to find your purpose. And I know I'm, I am 25. People tell me I'm young all the time. I don't feel young. I feel like like an older woman and like a young body <laughs> but um I think my purpose is still kind of yet to be fulfilled but I think I've got a good idea of what it could be and I want to get more like I get messages all the time from girls that are like I, I pursued a career in software because I heard your story and gosh that just makes me feel like I'm really impacting and creating a change um but other than that, like I'd love to have like a family and find like a really amazing partner and just do all that stuff. So I think my purpose will kind of evolve over the next 10 years. Maybe that's how it is that your purpose in life is actually shifting all the time um, as you grow and develop as a person. But do you have any life quotes that you live by? It's funny because for the longest time I live by fake it till you make it. But now everyone's like jumping on that bandwagon and saying how bad it is to be doing, to be living by that. But um, it is still that same concept. It's, I think more so just be relentless and just your pursuit for change. Just be really resentful, resilient and persevere towards your own goals and dreams and not what you think people think you should be doing and comparing yourself but yeah ultimately making mistakes learning from failures getting back up not taking it personally and just kind of shrugging it off and starting all over again I think it's a big not a quote but yeah just big like life lesson to live by what do you think women can bring to the table that men can't necessarily bring people don't understand how important diversity is it, let's just take it right back, you know. If we if we think about the importance of female leadership from a money point of view, right? Money drives all companies. Money drives you know, key targets. Money drives uh, productivity, innovation, whatever. So let's just take it right down to like the bare minimum of just making money. Well, all of these companies that let's just say there's a whole boardroom full of like the same age male or like even just the same age of female, same background, same kind of social status, same monetary status, well, then you're building products that are ba is basically the same. Uh, so why have a whole room of people that you're paying maybe $300,000, $400,000 
when they're all coming up with the same innovation and the same ideas. It's a slow death. It's like a very slow and painful death uh, for big companies and even smaller ones if you're not diversifying your board, if you're not diversifying your executive team and not having that diversity, you're basically just paying people for nothing because you're all coming up with the same ideas. I mean, it's really interesting. So, you know, earlier this year when, um, when Toys R Us filed a Chapter 11, which is their bankruptcy, they could have had so many ways of innovating the Toys R Us brand globally, but they didn't get on to it quick enough. And their boards and executive teams were largely, you know, the same male age group, same background. There's no way to grow or innovate quickly enough in the market that we are today. And if we are talking about money, you want to be creating products for everybody. In New Zealand, we're 53% female. So if you've got a whole boardroom of males trying to create businesses for the majority, which is female, and if you even take that further, females are the biggest decision makers in a family, and especially in ticketing. Uh, females buy the tickets for their kids and their husbands to go on shows together and movies and whatever else. So we're thinking female first. We're thinking um, just people first, you know. And you don't want to just narrow it down to building stuff for males or just building stuff for females and building stuff just for kids. You want to look at more and just diversify your offering as much as possible. So if we're being real superficial and just talking about cash, like diversify your team ASAP. So what is success to you? Uh, success comes in a lot of different facets. Um, I don't think like, you know, in my field, people would say you're, you're, you can measure success when you sell your company and get acquired for like millions and billions of dollars. I don't think that's success. What I, what I measure success being is creating a company where people wake up every day and are really excited to come to work. That's a really healthy view of success, I think. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? I think what I'd say to my 20-year-old self is kind of just be more confident. Don't give a shit about what other people think about you. Kind of just like go to the beat of your own drum uh, and just don't take no as as an option and stick to your values you know we might we, my mum always taught me this from a really young age is sometimes you have sometimes you make a bad decision but it's the decision that you made so just stand behind it stand behind that decision at all costs because at the end of the day you're the one that made it um so I would I would kind of live by that more yeah yeah and don't take shit <laughs> I think. <laughs> do you have any raw female models to look up to? I do. I have so many female role models. Um, yeah, just the amazing. You know, even a lot of my friends, you know, Sean Simpson from Kiwi Landing Pad, uh, Chandra uh, from Crimson Consulting, you're amazing females. You know, Cecilia Robinson from My Food Bag. Uh, Nadia Lim, Linda Jenkinson, these are all really badass females in New Zealand that are doing amazing things, not only for the like business community, but actually in like philanthropy and helping other females uh, break glass ceilings. You know, we've got great examples. Jacinta Ardern, she's an amazing prime minister. She's a female prime minister who's young um, and has really kind of new new ideas and something new to bring to the table. Um, Helen Clark, 
just what Auntie Helen has been able to do for the New, for New Zealand and New Zealand woman and uh, showing how resilient we need to be and kind of break those glass ceilings. Even though it's getting better for females in business places and in tech, we're still not where we need to be. And we need to kind of draw on the example of these amazing females that have paved the way for us to get here in the first place and then make sure that we're doing the same for the females that will be, you know, where we are in the next couple of years. Great, Ethel. Let's finish up there with all those amazing females that are paying the way for the future. I think you can put your name up there as well. Who knows, some of those females might be joining me in another episode of Girl Power Pod. So thank you so much for taking your time, Ethel. I know you're based in Wellington normally, so I'm very grateful that you took your time to meet up with Girl Power Pod. I'm looking forward to follow your journey with Passwear, and I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Girl Power Pod. My name is Susanne Axelsen. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe and please give it a five-star rating. You can also follow Girl Power Pod on Instagram. It would really mean a lot to me to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So please email girlpowerpod at gmail.com. I would love to get your feedback and I respond to every email. In the next episode, I talk to the award-winning destination wedding photographer Danelle Bohane. We talked about traveling for a living, going out on your own, and the importance of a good workflow. Make sure to not miss out on this episode. And thanks again for listening to Girl Power Pod.